You probably heard the familiar story of the man who was stuck on his roof during a flood. The waters began to rise, and he went up to his rooftop, and he was a man of great faith, and so he began to pray that God would save him. And he prayed with great faith, God, provide for me, provide for me a way out of the dilemma that I'm in. Well, soon a rowboat came by, and the man who was rowing those oars called up to the man that was on the roof, and he said, hey, jump down, slide down off your roof, I can save you. The man looked down, and he said, no, 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 I'm praying, I'm a man of great faith, and I'm praying that God would provide an answer. A little bit later, someone in a in a uh, powerboat, motorboat, came by, a speedboat, and the man who was driving the speedboat yelled up to the man on the roof, and he said, sir, the, the, the waters are rising. Slide down off your roof. I can save you. I can bring you to safety. And he said, no, you don't understand. I believe that God will provide. I'm okay. I'm going to continue to trust in the Lord. And a little bit later, as that man went away, another man came with a helicopter, and the pilot of the helicopter, he called down to the man on the roof, and he said, grab the rope. I can bring you to safety. And he said, no, sir, I'm fine. God's going to provide a way. He will provide a way. And begrudgingly, the pilot of the helicopter left. And the waters rose and the man drowned. And he got to heaven, very curious, a little bit angry, and looked at God. And he says, I trusted you. I told people I trusted you. I said that you would provide. Why didn't you provide? And God looked at him and he said, you know, I provided a rowboat, I provided a powerboat, and I provided a helicopter. What more do you want? I think we sometimes are a little bit like the man on the roof, aren't we? We're a little bit like the man on the roof. We ask for God's provision. We ask for him to provide. We call out in desperation to him. And he provides. But the way that he provides, we're arrogant about. Or we don't think it's enough. Or maybe we're disappointed with the way that God provides. Or maybe we are unsatisfied with the way that God provides. And that's unfortunately sometimes the way that we are. Our deep and abiding faith in God puts us in a position to shout it to the world, but when he provides an answer, we're often disappointed and we ignore it. You know, we're not the only ones that are that way. God's people in the Old Testament were that way. This struggle that they had with God had so much to do with the fact that God provided the way he provided an answer over and over and over again. And it was unsatisfactory. It wasn't enough for them. They felt like it was short. The Old Testament is the story of God's redemption that continues into the New Testament, that continues into today. And God provided in remarkable ways during the, the, the Old Testament period of the patriarchs. That's Moses and the, and the flood and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he provided in, in great ways during that period of time in Israel's history and uh, the Jewish people's history. The nation of Israel, they, they finally conquered the promised land and God did amazing things. And then there was this period of the judges and he continued to do amazing things. But the nation of God, the people of God, the Jewish people looked around at the nations around them and, and, and they saw that the way that that, that nation was saved is, was through a king. 
And they cried out to God, and they said, God, give us a king. And finally, God relented. He basically said, you don't know what you're asking for, but I'll give you a king. And God's people, the Jewish people, had three kings that they were united under. King Saul, King David, and his son, King Solomon. And then all of a sudden, the nation split into two. It divided into two. And we have the northern kingdom And we have the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. God's people didn't know what they were asking for. Because during the period of the monarchs in Israel's history and in Judah's history, during that period of time, things went from bad to worse to awful. In fact, it's interesting when you look at charts of the different kings of both Israel and Judah, these two kingdoms that were divided, and the kings of Israel, there's not one of them that was a person of good character. When you look at a chart of the kings of Judah, it's interesting because they'll list in, the, in this category called character, they'll list their character and they'll give descriptions. Most of them are considered mostly bad or bad or wicked or even devilish. How would you like to be that king? <laughs> but there were two in Judah's history who were considered good, Hezekiah and Josiah. Hezekiah and Josiah. They stood out as good kings with good character during a period of time when that just wasn't the case in the Jewish people's history. You know, it's funny when you think about it. We just sang a song that means so much to us, particularly today, that God is good. And we cry out and we proclaim with our mouths and we may even proclaim with our our lives that, that we put our trust in him. But do we really put our trust in him? Deep down in our soul, in the quiet place where no one else sees. This king who rose up in Judah's history, this king by the name of Josiah was a king who he, he found those secret dark places in the history of God's people, and he discovered them, and he did something dramatic about them. I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. We're going to be in 2 Kings 22. If you have your devices or if you have your Bibles, uh, 2 Kings chapter 22 will be in both chapters 22 and 23. By the way, I want to say to you today, it is so good to see you today. It is so good to have you in the house, absolutely, and to see uh, more of you. It's great. Thank you for being here in the house. Thanks to those of you who are on the backstage patio, and thank you to those who are watching and listening online. Why don't we give it up for them who are on the backstage patio and online today. Thank you guys so much for being a part. Judah, during this period of the kings, during these these 19 and 20 kings respectively, Judah, uh, with those 20 kings, they struggled throughout their history to be faithful to God. In fact, if you really dive in and look at the history of God's people in Judah, this other kingdom, this this southern kingdom, the people of Judah, the kings of Judah in particular, led the people to essentially worship idols because God wasn't enough. The way that he was providing didn't seem satisfactory. It disappointed them. It wasn't according to their plan. 
And so they began to worship other things and other gods, small g gods, and evil had overcome good. These kings led the nation away from God. It was part of their spiritual journey of unfaithfulness to God. And in fact, Josiah, who was one of the youngest kings ever to live, we're going to see in a moment that he was uh, anointed as king or became king, excuse me, at the ripe old age of eight. So when I think of Timothy, uh, you know, getting, receiving the word, don't let uh, someone look down on you because of your youth. Man, Josiah comes to mind, a young, young king, the age of eight. And Josiah realized that there was something wrong, but I get the feeling that Josiah didn't know exactly what was wrong in his nation until later in his reign. He knew something was wrong, and he began to investigate things. His grandfather was uh, Manasseh, who was a terribly evil king. His father was Ammon, who was also uh, an awful king. And, and Judah, um, Judah, at this point in time, the whole nation was far from God, probably as far as they had been from God since the time of David and Solomon. And so they were very far from God. And let's take a look. In 2 Kings chapter 22, look at verses 1 and 2. Josiah becomes the king. He was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the, the daughter of Adiah uh, of Bozketh, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce those names clearly. <laughs> Verse 2, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, I want you to hear that again. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of David, his father, his ancestor. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, here's what Josiah had heard. He had heard that there might be problems in the temple. So he gathers together a team of people that he trusts, and he sends them to the temple, and he says, I need you to go to the temple, and I need you to find out what's really going on. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever worked for someone that, like, the spotlight will all of a sudden come on you. We used to call this that one in this one job that I had, me and my team. Uh, I, and I would say, man, the boss, you know, our boss, is, who is the CEO of this company, uh, man, he, the spotlight's on our department right now, all right? So let's make sure that we're running on all cylinders. Let's make sure everything's humming really good. Because if there's anything going wrong right now, I, we're in the spotlight, He's going to find out. And so Josiah knows that there are some issues. So he sends this team down to inspect and to inquire of the chief priest down there and to find out what's going on. And here's what they find. They found that there's the book of the law had been lost. Check this out. This is Hilkiah, who is the priest. 2 Kings 22, verse 8. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Now, I want you to see what happens when word comes back to Josiah about them finding the book of the law. Please don't miss what happens here. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He began to mourn. My, my impression is, is he began to sob and he began to weep. 
Because God's word for generations had been tossed aside. Have you ever bought something and, and found, like you ever bought a house, like an old house maybe, or a car, and you found something inside that car or that house, and you're like, what in the world is this? What is this? Somebody's lost this. Somebody left it a long time ago. And that's what was going on with God's people. They, they had lost the word of God. Skip down to verse 13. The king, Josiah, he says this, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So I, I believe, here's what was going on with Josiah. I believe that Josiah had kind of this, maybe this intuition or wisdom or discernment that there were some things in his nation that were going on that were disturbing, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it. Yeah, you know when something's wrong, but you don't know exactly what it is. You've got this intuition that maybe something's wrong. Spiritually speaking, that's from God. It's called discernment. And so in investigating some things that he had heard were going on in the temple, they find that the very word of God had been tossed aside. Essentially, it had been thrown to the ground, relegated to just nothing. And in that moment, when they read the word of God, in reading God's word out loud, the king of the nation of Judah realized that's the problem. That's the issue. The word of God had just been tossed to the side. No wonder we're having the issues we're having. No wonder we're, we're seeing the problems that we're having. No wonder God's hand of blessing is off of us. The word of God had been tossed aside. That was only one problem. He would discover others in just a few minutes in, in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. But he realized this is the beginning of their problem. I, I want to talk for a moment about the word of God. Listen, I, I want you to hear uh, this church. I want you to hear this Christ follower. I want you to hear this, those of you who may not know God or may not quite understand all this, but you're curious or maybe somebody just dragged you here or you happen to stumble upon this. Listen, I want you to know that the word of God is a story of God's redemption of mankind. There's no doubt about it. It's all through, I've heard one pastor called it the scarlet thread of history. From beginning to end, you see it. It's an amazing thing. But the word of God is also God's gift of how we should live. It's for his glory, but it is also for our best. He gave it to us as a gift for us to live by. And if you're listening or you're watching or you're here or you're back on the backstage patio and you wonder right now why you just seem lost in life, why, why life has you know, just been incredibly difficult, you know, that, you know, things that are going on in your life, I, I want you to first, before you go any further in trying to investigate why in the world it seems like your life is off the rails, I want to, to implore you and I, I want to challenge you to stop for a moment. And see if maybe 
you've allowed the word of God in your life to be tossed in a corner, tossed aside, lost, discarded. Because I know in my life, when things really go awry, I like to blame other people. I like to point fingers. I like someone else to be the scapegoat, but the reality is, is it begins with me. And it usually begins with me getting my eyes off of God and his word. And so Josiah in this moment realizes that the word of God has been tossed aside. I want you to know that when we stop spending time in God's word, we easily fall into sin. And that is what was going on with the whole nation of God's people, Judah. And it can happen to us very easily. When we stop spending time in God's word, we can easily fall down a path that leads to sin and it can ruin our lives and it can take away the glory that we know that God deserves. I love, there's kind of a story inside a story here in 2 Kings 22, 14 through 18. We're not gonna look at those verses, but it's interesting because the high priest, uh, Hilkiah, he goes and he says, I agree, there's something going on. We need to find out. And they go to a prophetess and her name is Huldah and it's found in 2 Kings 22, 14 through 18. And she essentially says to Hilkiah, who brings the message to Josiah the king, and he says, she, she says basically, listen, God's wrath is, and destruction is gonna be poured out on the nation of Judah because you guys have walked away from his word. Great Sunday morning message, right? <laughs> his wrath and destruction are going to be poured out on you. But I want you to see what this hidden figure inside this story of a hidden figure says in 2 Kings 22, 19 and 20. She says this. She says, I love this. She says, but because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Verse 20 says, therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I would bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king of this message that this prophetess gives. In some ways, Hulda is a little bit of the hidden figure inside the hidden figure of Josiah's life. She speaks this word that God is, uh, has the ability to, to pour out his wrath and his judgment on you. And that is such a very difficult thing for us to understand because the God of the Old Testament doesn't seem like the God of the New Testament. And he's not because of Jesus. But it's because of God's wrath and anger against sin that he could provide redemption and mercy and grace through forgiveness. And he shows that redemption right here. When Huldah says, God's going to give you grace. He's going to give you mercy. Now, Josiah was a young king, and he's well into his reign. 
and he takes action. And I want you to see this as we move on. 2 Kings 23, verse 3. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after uh, the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. See, Josiah realized that the biggest problem that they had is that the word of God had been tossed aside. But he also realized here in a moment that there were going to be other problems. And the other problems that he discovered was that they had replaced God and his word with other idols. God provided the way of escape. God provided the plan of living. God had given them his word, and they had ignored it. But not only had they ignored it, but they put all of these idols, all of these gods, small g, in the place of God himself. And it's described in 2 Kings 23, 4 through 20, Josiah, who I believe is in the 18th year of his reign of 31 years, he goes into the temples in different places and he completely annihilates all of these idols. And he completely takes down from the high places in these temples, the place where God needed to be, he takes down the idols that they had begun to worship. I'm not going to read all. I'm not going to read any of verses 4 through 20. You can do it on your own. You will see a guy who is absolutely dedicated. Listen, I don't want you to miss this. He is dedicated to the full extraction of anything that would replace God in the temple. It is scorched earth when it comes to idols and their homes and even those priests who allowed those idols to be put up in God's place for two generations, at least for two generations, how hard this must have been for Josiah that his father and his grandfather, the ones that allowed and probably promoted God, the one true God to be replaced by idols and the word of God tossed to the side. But he goes in and God's word says that he burned and he destroyed and he buried and he disposed and he killed and he defiled the idols' homes and he removed statues and broke and pulled down anything that had anything to do with anything that was replacing God. Man, this guy went crazy against evil. He went crazy against evil, didn't he? But he realized that the word of God had been abandoned. It had been tossed to the side. He realized that there were idols that had been put up into high places instead of God. But he also realized that there was a third problem. And that is, is that God's people had stopped the practice of worshiping God together. They had ended some of those godly practices that God himself put in place. And we see in 2 Kings 23, verse 21, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. And 2 Kings 23, verse 25 says this, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise 
after him. I heard one um, secular scholar give an argument for uh, the, the lack of any evidence that King Josiah was as good as he was. And the secular scholar says, if you go to those temples that's talked about in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, if you go there, there's absolutely no evidence that King Josiah did any of the tearing down, any of the burning, any of the covering up of all these idols. And my first thought was, yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> they were gone and destroyed completely, completely. I think Josiah gives us five steps to spiritual freedom, and I'm going to hit these quickly because I think there's a greater point to this message today and to this hidden figure, but five steps to spiritual restoration, and he was the king of spiritual restoration. The first thing is is we've got to realize the real problem. Israel had three problems. They had tossed aside the word of God. They had put up idols in his place, and they had stopped the spiritual practices that give God glory. We've got to realize the real problem. Secondly, we've got to repent from sin. You don't hear that much in church today, but it's for his glory, and it's for our good. It's for our good. And we must restore, thirdly, God's word to our lives. We must restore God's word to our lives. Fourth, we must remove sin, sinful practices, and sin's root cause. See, somewhere behind the sin is a root cause. Us not truly trusting God, maybe with our mouths, but not in our hearts. And then the fifth thing is, is that we've got to return to God-honoring practices. Problem is, is that we sometimes apply the story of Josiah. We apply it corporately. Or we apply it universally, like this. Oh, there needs to be a Josiah or many Josiahs in this day and age. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But the reason there aren't is we're not applying this personally. We're not applying it personally, church. And I'm standing up here saying that I fail at this too. We all do. We all do. And so what are the lessons from Josiah? How did he get in the position that he could lead spiritual restoration and spiritual reform on such a great scale? What differentiated Josiah? This is is the take-home. Three things. First and foremost, he decided early on to live a life of obedience to God. He decided early on to live a life of obedience to God. And I don't... I'm just going to admit, I don't like that word. (laughs) I don't like that word. I don't like to obey. I don't. You can ask my dad. I'll be with him in two weeks. He can tell you. I don't like to, but who does? We're human. Rebellion was born in us. 2 Kings 22, verse 2, he, Josiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in all the ways of David, his father, and he didn't turn aside to the right or to the left. 2 Kings 23, verse 5, he disposed, 
uh, deposed the priest who the, who the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of heavens. He did away with all of it because it didn't line up with God. Listen, his expression, I want you to hear this, his expression of his deep abiding love for God came through in his obedient life. There's a difference between obeying God out of duty and obeying God because we love him. There's a difference between those two. So my question for you is, does your love for God lead you to obey God with your life? Does your love for God lead you to be like Josiah and live according to his word? See, first lesson we can learn from Josiah, this hidden figure's life, is he decided early on to live a life of obedience. And that continued throughout his life, throughout his reign. And throughout the kingdom of Judah, there was a ripple effect because he personally, listen, church, he personally decided that he would do this. The second thing that we can learn is he heard the difficult truth with humility. He heard the difficult truth with God, I pray that we would do the same. Father, I pray for those who don't know you yet. Father God, I pray that even in this day, that some of the words that were said or sung or something that they saw today, God, I pray that it would draw them to you. And Father, I pray that they would receive you as their Savior, that they would put their trust for eternity in you. Father, I thank you that we're here today. I thank you for this hidden figure, Josiah, that made a huge impact on returning your people back to faithfulness in you. God, I pray that we would do that in our own lives, realizing you're never going to give us the ability to lead others to do that until we've done it ourselves. Help us to be faithful to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.